Okay, Father, I now just want to unpack what you've been pouring into me. And so I, I pray, Father, would you please help me to communicate Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence in this place. I want to ask, Holy Spirit, that you would do what Jesus said you would do, that you you would comfort, that you would strengthen, that you would guide, that you would convict, that we would sense you nudging us out of our comfort zone, into your glory. So that through our lives, we won't just sing, show us your glory. We will be able to say, God, I choose to live my life so that your glory is seen. So Holy Spirit, please give me clarity of thought. In Jesus' name. Okay, I'm going to read to you from John, uh, John's first letter, uh, 1 John, chapter 2. I have, uh, over years, as I've read the book of uh, some of John's writings, and I read about John. John is a, a man who I think, oh, Lord, I just love the way this man is passionate about you. In 1 John... There's 2,141 words in his first letter. There's, there's 105 verses in this one letter. And there are eight times that he uses the word fellowship. There are 22 times that he says, you know, you know. He reminds us that we know something. 22 times he, he mentions that. And 40 times, 40 times he, he, he mentions the word love. 40 times. It's an overwhelming love letter from, from somebody that in my head, uh, I have, I don't know why it's there, but he's like Papa Pastor John. He's like this loving father, this dad figure that's full of God, full of love, full of passion for his father in heaven and his savior, Jesus And he has this incredible burden for his people that he has responsibility for. And he he challenges them and he he loves them to bits. And in part of that love, he, he directs them and helps shape them. But he also challenges them. And here's one of his challenges. It says um, in uh, chapter 2, he says... My dear children, I talk to my kids like that, (laughs) my dear daughter, my dear children, I'm writing this to you that you will not sin. But if you do, but if you do, I don't want you to, but if you do, there is someone to plead for you before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who pleases God completely. He is the sacrifice of for our sins. He takes away not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. 
And how can you be sure that you, are, that you belong to him? By obeying his commandments. If someone says, I belong to God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and does not live in the truth. But those who obey God's word really do love him. That is the way to know whether or not we live in him. Those who say that they live in God should live their lives as Christ did. Those that say they love God should look like it. Those that say they love God, they can really know that they are not just words, but it's the reality of their heart as they look at their life. Does my life look a little bit like Christ? Am I, lit, am I a little bit better at mirroring him into this world today than I was yesterday or the day before? Has God done something in me in my journey through these few days, through these past weeks, over this last few months, over the last year? Am I growing in my witness? Am I looking a little bit more Christ-like? Let me put the timer on. I've got to try and rattle through what I want to rattle through. Let me just say that this is part two. So I'm just going to give you a very swift recap of last week. I've got seven primary attributes of followers that I found in the Sermon on the Mount. There there are more. Uh, I'm convinced there's more, but I just picked seven. Um, And the Sermon on the Mount, just to be clear, is not just the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. This is not focusing on the Beatitudes wholly and solely, but it's on, the, on chapter 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew so that you get a picture of Jesus' challenge to the people that he's speaking to. And through Scripture, it's coming all the way down to you and me today, his message for us. And he says, I want you to understand that there are some principles of the kingdom that need to be manifest in your lives so that the people will see that you're my followers. Not just my believers, my followers. You're going to look like something. The first one that I talked about was humility. The second one was the willingness to suffer persecution. First one is chapter 5, verse 3. Second one is chapter 5, verse 10, willingness to suffer persecution. Uh, And then the third one was the earnest attention to God's commandments, which is 519. And you can listen to the podcast from last week, or you can look at those for yourself. But those are principles that I think that are there in the first few, cha- few verses of this message that Jesus speaks. But I now want to focus on the next four. And it's the first one of the four that I want to talk to you about is choosing genuinely right behavior over false piety. Choos- choosing genuinely right behavior over looking religious. Let me, it's chapter 5, verse 20. But I warn you, unless you obey God better than the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees do, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Out. Oh. I warn you. 
unless you obey God better than the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees. Now, he's speaking into a cultural setting where you had these professional religious people who seemed to set standards and had rules and regulations and principles and... Uh, and uh, they were called yokes. They were called my standard. If I was, if I was a rabbi, it would be my standards of uh, Scripture, my understanding of Scripture, and then my principles of life uh, in, line, in line with what, how I understood Scripture. And so I had rules and regulations, and you had rules and regulations. And, uh, and part and parcel of that was um, they, they had uh, a philosophy of demonology, which I find fascinating. And uh, one of those things was uh, that um, you never had, you never, you were not allowed to have breadcrumbs on the table or on the floor in your house. And so you had to keep it clean and no breadcrumbs. And the reason that is, is because they taught the, this part of uh, the religious teaching in the day was that demons inhabited breadcrumbs. If there were breadcrumbs, their demons were sucked into the, the breadcrumbs and they inhabited the breadcrumbs. And so you had to clean house. It's good to clean house. It's good to have godly principle. But if it's done, if it's done because of some religious tradition, it's, you're, you're being misled. You should have a clean and tidy house. You should look after what God has blessed you with. Doesn't mean clean and tidy. Doesn't mean to say that you don't have stuff out of place. For goodness sake, if you visit my house, there's stuff out of place, according to my wife. And normally it's my clothes. <laughs> At the end of the day, <laughs> they're out of place. But they taught this stuff. And so, so when you read the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 and saying to the disciples, now go and collect everything that's left over, what do they end up with? Twelve baskets of what? Breadcrumbs. What's he doing? There's so much more being communicated in that one little detail of that story that we miss if we don't understand the culture. And, and I digress a little bit, but I want to say that what Jesus is doing to the people of his day, he's saying, listen, uh, God's provision is the most important thing that you can understand. God will meet your need. And the fact that you are controlled by fear of demons, listen, they are nothing they are nothing compared to the kingdom of God that I'm representing. Do you get it? He's, he's painting a picture. And we need to see that we can be religious about certain things and we can say we have to, well, you can't wear jeans on a Sunday. I would never have worn jeans on a Sunday when I was first in ministry because the church that I was part of wore suits. Jesus is saying, I'm warning you, you need to make sure that your righteousness is really right, not religious. Please don't be religious. He's saying to you, I'm saying to you, don't be religious. Make sure that your obedience to him is reflected in the right things that you do, in the right things that you do. And your behavior needs to be better than just pretending to be followers of Christ. You can believe and you can look like a Christian because you raise your hands, you turn up on a Sunday, you dress smart, you smell nice, you brush your hair, whatever. But your heart can be a million miles away from him. You know this stuff. So choose genuinely right behavior over false piety. 
It's a principle that's found in Jesus talking to his, the people that were listening about their lifestyle. I just want to say the reason I, I called this lifestyle, because lifestyle is something that we choose. We choose to style our life. And there are many things that are, cho- that are trying to shape the style of your life. Adverts are doing it all the time. You, you need to be driving a, a hybrid car now. You need to be, you know, no longer as a diesel car to have or a petrol car. You need a hybrid car. Because if you want the lifestyle of looking after our planet, you need to buy a Nissan or a this or a that. And so they're trying to shape your lifestyle with pressure. And I want to say Jesus is wanting to shape your lifestyle also. But he's wanting to nudge you in a direction that you choose to go. It's a lifestyle on purpose. It's a lifestyle that's not subliminally arrived at because you've spent time in church. And in church, they raise their hands, so you raise your hands. And in church, they sing songs, so you sing up. In church, they give, and so you give. It's actually choosing to have a lifestyle that models Jesus. Because you realize that he's poured out his love. He's poured out his grace that you've experienced his forgiveness, that you know, that you know in your Noah that he's forgiven you, that you've given your life to him, and he's taken your life and said, thank you for surrendering your will to my will. Now I want to give you a life that is blessed and full so that you can give me glory in everything that you do, in the way that you live, in your obedience to my words, and that it's not looking like a churchgoer, but it's actually looking like a follower of Christ. So the second one, uh, the second one this, this morning is the fifth one in the list, and it's a life of prayer. It's a life of prayer. And I don't want you to hear that this is about attending prayer meetings. It's not. A prayer meeting is when prayers meet. That's a meeting of prayers. You get a prayer meeting. And it's in chapter 6, verses 10 to 13. It says, may your kingdom come soon. This is Jesus teaching the disciples how to pattern their prayer. Not how to pray, but how the prayer, the pattern of prayer should look for them to pray in a certain pattern and to fill it out with their heart and their own words. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. Give us our food for today and forgive us our sins just as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. Oh God, would you forgive us, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing, because that's the way we forgive others. And don't let us yield to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is a pattern prayer. It's not the Lord's prayer. It's not. It's, it's labeled that, and it's been taught that, and people quote it and read it and think it's a prayer. It's not a prayer. It's a pattern And if you just religiously quote that, let me tell you, you're religious. But if you're not saying, may your kingdom come, may your kingdom come on earth, on earth, here, in my town, in my home, in my house. May your kingdom come. God, show me how to be a person who lives for you in such a way that your kingdom comes. That blind eyes would open, that deaf ears would be unblocked. I dared to go back and remember my heart's cry when I first got saved. And I 
uh, I used to feel uncomfortable and I used to feel presumptuous and a little bit uppity. But I used to dream, I don't know whether I should say this, oh, I'm in now, I might as well swim around a bit. I used to dream that my shadow, as it fell on people, would cause them to experience the kingdom of God. I used to dream of that. I used to dream that I would pray for people and see eyes open and lives changed. I used to dare to think that God could use me in a way that his kingdom would come just because I was here, because I carry his presence, because I've run to the altar and I've got fire off the altar, some passion, and I'm choosing to take that passion on purpose and to stand between the living and the dead. I dared to dream. And you know what? It got Bible college out of me. It got filtered away because I needed to understand the theology of it and the reasoning of it instead of actually just the raw passion and that the simple-minded boat builder could be a person who actually ushers in kingdom in certain places, in certain people's lives because of the way he chooses to live his life. And when you dream of things like that, you pray, may your kingdom come and may it come soon. You pray with a passion. You pray with an intensity that is never just scripted. You pray out of believing that God, Jesus himself says, pray like this, may your kingdom come. It's the Father's will. So I'm praying in line with his will. Dare to dream. May your will be done. May you see my heart that it's desperate to do your will. I'm confused. I'm lost at times. I'm overcome with things that stalk me and pressurize me. The sin that assails me. The things that I used to do that I don't want to do anymore. I still struggle. I'm drawn to them like I like a, a, a thirsty man to water. And I don't want to go there. I want to go here. And this seems like a dry and weary place. God, please help me to stay pure that there is no dry and weary place in me that I am hungry and thirsty for you, that's my passion, that your will will be done here on earth and start with me. That's how we should pray. And this, Jesus is saying, you need to have a life of prayer. And, it's, and that's intentionally, purposefully paying attention to him. Give us your food. Give us our food, sorry. Give us our food. I can't tell you the pressure uh, and other than just to say, Ellen and I have had the most pressure um, I think ever in this last week or so. And um, and our prayer has been, Lord, would you would you make a way where there doesn't seem to be one? Would you give us today uh, the food that we need? Would you help us? And it's not just us praying for here. It's us praying for us. And you know what? He does. 
He does, and I trust him. I trust him. And, and you know, when I choose to forgive, and it hurts, and I choose to forgive when it doesn't feel like they deserve it, I've learned that actually something gets shaken down and pressed in to me that enables me to show his glory in a way that I didn't before and couldn't before because I haven't forgiven and I wouldn't forgive in the way that he tells me that I should be forgiving. But suddenly, as I choose to take a step, he says, Bill, I'm going to press in some more forgiveness. I'm going to press in and I'm going to shake you a little bit so that it all settles and you can actually begin to overflow in what I'm pouring into you. And it'll look like something. It'll manifest in you in a way that it should manifest in you so that my kingdom is seen, that my glory is, ex- is, is, is flowing out of you. And then he says, don't let us yield to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We are in a constant battle, a constant war. There is, it's, a, it's a war of attrition and too many people choose to say well this behavior is appropriate for me remember Ellen (laughs) Uh, if you're not you're staring at me as if I'm talking French Ellen said to me one morning we were having a very strong debate and um and Ellen said something that was completely kind of uh I think she might be listening next door she's having to work next door at the moment um and she knows we've talked about this. And, uh, but she said something that was just nuts. It's very unusual. <laughs> Help me, Jesus. I'm digging a hole. <laughs> and, uh, and I said to Ellen, Ellen, that's really not appropriate. What you've just said is not appropriate. And she, she came back to me because she'd walked off. And she came back and she said... Well, it's appropriate to me. <laughs> and I just fell about because I said, if you'd been caught doing something by a police officer and he said, it's really not appropriate that you do that, madam. And he, you say, well, it's appropriate to me. He would not let you off. He would not let you off. And, uh, but this is how so many of us deal with the temptations that the enemy brings. It, it suits me. It's appropriate for me to do this. And, but actually, Bill... The Bible says that you shouldn't do that. Yeah, but that's not appropriate. This is, this is appropriate. That's not really appropriate. That's cultural to the day. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't like that bit. I like this because it's appropriate to me. And we are just and we give in to temptation. And G- Jesus says, you need to pray because the temptation is always going to be coming at you. And you need to pray. Lord, help me to not yield to this temptation. Help me to to stay true to you that, so that my righteousness, so that I am genuinely living in, in a right way. I, my behavior is genuinely right, not religious. That I'm not adjusting what I choose to do according to what my theology teaches me. But actually, I want to do what I'm meant to do according to your word so that I apply what I understand. And please deliver me from the evil one. And he does. He does. The devil can't touch you. The devil can't touch you. That's why John, Papa Pastor John, says what he says. He says there, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if you do, 
You don't have to sin, but if you do. I'm telling you, you don't have to sin, but if you do, if you do, not when you do, if you do, there is someone to plead for you before the Father. And if we just are people of prayer and we say, God, help me, help me, help me, help me. He does, he does. But you have to choose the right behavior. Okay, the next one in this list. Number six in the list. Number three today. Spiritual values over material values. Um, Matthew six thirty three, And he will give you all you need for, from day to day if you live for him. And make the kingdom of God your primary concern. If you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern, you will have all that you need. If, if, if. Spiritual values over material values. He's saying you need to prioritize spiritual values. What are spiritual values? Well, there's a few. Spiritual values. Truth is a spiritual value. Truth. Is your yes, yes, and your no, no. Do you fudge for convenience? Or are you a person of truth? Now, listen. When my wife says, do I look okay in this? Yes is the answer. It's always the answer. It's always the answer. But sometimes I need to say, yeah, you you look great in anything. You could wear a sack and I think you're gorgeous. All right, I've I've learned a few things in 40 years. All right. But sometimes love says, well, actually, I think the other thing that you wear is nicer than what you're wearing now. There's wisdom in it, isn't there? But you need to be a person who has spiritual values, truth. Then another spiritual value that is just a challenge, I think, for many of us, is righteousness. Righteousness. Sometimes it doesn't feel easy to do what's right. Sometimes you'll be judged, lied about, laughed at, ridiculed you'll get, you'll get hurt because you're choosing to try to stay right with God rather than man and righteousness is something that costs it cost him everything and he says to us i've clothed you with a righteousness that you don't deserve but then we have to choose to live up and fill up our lives under his righteousness. It's not about performing for God. It's about doing what's right so that he's known, that he's seen, that he's experienced through your lives. You need to have truth. You need to have righteousness. You need to be a person of peace. That's a spiritual value. Jesus says, I'm giving you a peace that actually the world doesn't understand, the world doesn't have. The world will look at you when you're calm in the Brexit storm and you think, God, you're the God who puts the rulers in the places. Our, our nation is in your hands. You, you rule the nations. Don't understand what's going on, and I trust you. And suddenly there's a peace. And I'm just talking about that big thing that our nation's been going through. But there'll be little things. When your ends don't meet, do you worry? Do you worry? Or do you have a peace? Do you hear him speak? Stay righteous. Stay righteous. I've got this. I'll cover you. 
I'm going to fill you with peace now so that you can get through this. A peace, it's a value that will be seen in you when all around you don't understand how you're coping and what you're coping. It's a spiritual value that you'll be manifesting. And then, as John says, love. Love is a spiritual value. It's a massive value. You know, if you love yourself, I'm, I know so, I've met nobody in this room. I've met loads of Christians who don't love themselves. They like themselves, but if you ask them, do they love themselves, they would tell you, honestly, they would say no. They would struggle to admit that they don't really love themselves. And Jesus says, you've you got to love yourself because it's the measure that you will use to love others. So if you don't love yourself, how can you love them? Because this love is how you love there. And I, I need you to know, I'm my favorite person. I think you're great, but I'm, I'm greater. <laughs> it's not a competition. But I, I really like me. I always have. And I, and I know all the faults, believe me. And I know, I know some of you know some of my faults, and, and you still like me, but you know, we're meant to love ourselves. And it's a spiritual value. It's a spiritual value. And if you're struggling with it, then you need to deal with it. You need to begin to see yourself through God's eyes, through his word. Let him show you who you are. Because this isn't what I love. This here when I shave, looking at this, this isn't what I love. It's this that I love. It's the me that you get to see a bit of that you get to experience. It's, it's the real you. It's the real you. That's who we love. It's you. It's really you. It's not, it's not what you look like. And we're meant to love. And you contrast that with material values. And Jesus says to the rich young guy, he says, listen, you know, you want to follow me? Then go and sell everything that you've got and uh, give it to the poor, the money to the poor, and then come and follow me. It isn't a, it isn't a financial challenge. It, he's saying to this rich young man, listen, your values are not spiritual values. Your, your values are worldly values. And, and you can't follow me if you're governed by worldly values. So I'm going to challenge your worldly values to, so that you can see in contrast your worldly values with the spiritual values that I'm looking for. I'm looking for a follower, not an attender. I'm looking for a follower who's willing to pay a price to follow me, not somebody that just believes and hangs around. And they're different. Material values control us or spiritual values represent us. And we are called, if we're going to be kingdom people, if we're going to truly be known as followers of Christ, if our lifestyle is going to look something like Jesus, then we have to be people that choose spiritual values over material values doesn't mean to say that we don't value material things. We are called to be good stewards. We're called to, to be generous with what, we are, with what we possess. But they are possessed by us. That we, are, they are, we are not possessed by them. We have to be people who live with spiritual values. And finally, number seven, above all else, 
acknowledging Christ's lordship by obeying the revealed will of God. This is chapter 7, and it's verse 21. It says, Not all people who sound religious are really godly. Remember, these are Jesus' words. This isn't somebody else writing a, um, something that um, is just a thought about something that Jesus has said. These are Jesus' words. Not all of the people who sound religious are really godly. They may refer to me as Lord, but they still won't enter the kingdom of heaven. Oh, heck. But he doesn't finish there. He says, the decisive issue is whether they obey my Father in heaven. The thing that sets us apart as true followers It's not that our lifestyle looks like something. It's that we are truly obedient to the Father. That we truly understand His way and we try to walk in it. That we are people that are apprenticing ourselves to our Master. And we call Him Lord. But not out of duty. It's out of respect. It's out of awe. He is the Lord of lords. He is the King of kings. And He is my Lord. I'm not just respecting Him because He has power. I'm respecting Him because I want to be like Him. I want to be like Him. And Jesus is hoping, I said this last week, that His apprentices, you and me, but you, you and me, But in this setting, there's more of you than there is of me. So I'm going to say you a lot more than I'm going to say me. So it's you. It's you. It's you. Own this. Own it. Because if you don't own it, what if you get to the pearly gates and your name's not there? Because it's all been conditional. It's all been religious. It's all been a a show. And you called him Lord. But he says, no, no, you can't come in because you never bothered to batten down the hatches and say, I don't get it, but Father, it's your will, not mine. I don't understand. I don't like it, but it's your kingdom come, not my will be done. It's your will be done. He wants his apprentices, you, and me, but you, to accept renewal, that's what this book is about, to accept renewal in our soul and our behavior. Because out of your soul, out of the real you, comes your behavior. Who you really are, when there's nobody looking, we've heard that said so many times, but who you really are is who you really are. It's who you really are. And he's wanting your soul to be reflected in your behavior. As well as the renewal of new birth, and we all need to understand that Jesus is a Savior and that we can only come to the Father because Jesus went to the cross and that he went to the cross for Bill Chapman's sin and yours and yours and yours and yours. And the sin that you will do tomorrow or the next day was covered in his sacrifice. His one sacrifice paid for all sin So that whoever believes in him doing that thing on the cross, giving his life, dealing death 
a blow that knocked it out of kilter, put all of its power out so that it can't touch you anymore. He dealt death a death blow on the cross. He conquered death. He conquered hell. He conquered sin. And he served Satan notice that his rule is now ruined because of his sacrifice on the cross. If we don't come here to this place and acknowledge him on that cross, we can't stand we don't stand a chance of doing what he's telling us to do. It starts there. And the renewal of our soul, the renewal of our spirit, the renewal of our life, through his sacrifice and my repentance. Thank you for the cross. I'm sorry for my sin. Please save me. Help me to walk your way, not my way. Help me. He wants us to have in our lives a revelation of who he is and what he's done and that it affects us so that the way we live looks like something. That he has an expectation of you that you will develop the fruit of the Spirit. He has an expectation of you. I have an expectation of you, but his expectation, he's God. He's Lord. He's meant to be your Lord. And he has an expectation that you will be developing the fruit of the Spirit. What are they? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. They should be the minimum standard of your lifestyle. But he's also wanting you to develop the gifts of the Spirit. I don't know if you practice that. I don't know whether you try to develop the gifts of the Spirit. I don't know whether you try to hear the Father speaking to you about the person queuing in front of you at Tesco's or Asda or Lidl or Aldi or the petrol station. Do you try to listen to him for his words for the next person that you meet in Starbucks or Costa or the gallery? Do you listen? Do you think he might want to speak to them in a way that causes them to glimpse his glory through you? I think our lifestyle needs a style change. He's hoping for kingly qualities to manifest in your life. Kingly qualities of love. Uh, he's, he's longing for you to develop a holy character. Not that you sound religious or judgmental but you actually are kind and considerate and patient and that you're full of joy that you are the life and the soul of a party not because you can tell good jokes but because you just change an atmosphere with your presence because you carry something because you've been to the altar for fire off the altar and now you're trying to stand between the living and the dead i'm, I'm quoting moses saying to Aaron, when the plague was ravaging Israel, Moses said to Aaron, run, run and get fire off the altar, and then run and stand between the living and the dead. And when Aaron stood with fire off the altar, he stood and the plague that was ravaging the nation could ravage no more because Aaron stood with fire off the altar. He'd run and run. And he had fire that represented the fire of God, the presence of God. And God is looking for godly character in you and me. And, 
and a godly lifestyle to actually look like something so that you, you mirror something into this world that is bereft of leadership, bereft of a standard. Anything goes. Whatever you feel, whatever gender you want to be, there's apparently now, I know New York has officially recognized, I can't remember whether it's 26 or 36 different genders, but somebody was telling me the other day that now, now officially 100 different genders, not just male and female anymore. Just bizarre. I feel like a rabbit, so you've got to call me a rabbit. I'm now no longer a man, I'm a rabbit. But just I've got an ear dysfunction. <laughs> So don't judge me. You're laughing at me now. You're judging me that I'm a rabbit, but I've got short ears. It's stupid. It's stupid. But why is there so much stupidity? It's because, because the world is bereft of the people that, are inf- that should influence it with godly lifestyles. So my prayer for you is that your life would be a marker for the maker. That he would mark you out as his and people would see his mark in your life. His fingerprints on you. His faith in you manifesting like something that causes others to have hope. I'm over time. I want to finish. I ask God um, that I would be able to speak to you this morning and not make you feel bad. Uh, I, I didn't want you to feel condemned, but I ask God for you to be convicted. Not because I want to be able to put some notches in me Bible. Oh, I got this person to respond, got that person. Uh, I want the kingdom of God. Uh, may your kingdom come soon you you are the answer to that prayer you're here because I've prayed and others prayed people that you've never met have prayed for you to influence this community you've never met them because they're dead now you've never met them because their prayers have been cried out to him for generations. I had the privilege of meeting a man who, as a young boy, had met Evan Roberts. And uh, I met this guy, and he was 98 years old, and he lived in Furness. And, um, and I, I was like, oh my gosh, this man met Evan Roberts. And was prayed for and came to faith in, under Evan Roberts' ministry. Evan Roberts, the great revivalist of, of Wales. And I said to him, uh, what did he say? Thinking there would be some wisdom. And he said, he was really brusque. And he said, don't neglect the knee work, boy. And that's what this 98-year-old man remembered from Evan Roberts because he'd applied it all of his life praying for you that he would never meet praying that God 
would do something in this nation, in this town, in your community, that his glory would break out. I could tell you loads of other people, I could use their names, who have prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And they saw nothing of what we see today. But they prayed, your kingdom come. What would it look like if you began to manifest a lifestyle that looked like a follower of Christ? You actually began to do the things that Jesus points out to us. What would it look like? Father, please forgive us, forgive me, when I have taken the easy route, when I've gone on the less painful journey because of what I thought this other route might feel like. Lord, forgive me. And I pray, Father, that in this room we would make some choices very simply to pay attention to your words, Jesus, so that our lives reflect you more and more and that we know that you are truly in us because of the way we obey you, Father God, and your word. So please, Holy Spirit, don't give up on us. Don't ease up on us. Continue to convict where we need convicting. Continue to steer where we need steering. Continue to encourage where we need encouraging. Continue to enlighten where we need enlightenment, that we might know your way and walk in it, that you would truly be a lamp to our path and a light to our journey, Lord, that we would know you in the intimate, in the small, narrow focus of our lives and the broader focus of our community, that we would see your kingdom come because we choose to be people that say, renew me, refresh me, that I might be all that you've called me to be. Lord, that's my prayer. I'm sure there might be people here also praying. Lord, hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.